0: What do CEOs need to know about sales these days? A lot. Outdated sales strategies and tactics plague most companies today. Listen to what innovative CEOs and experts have to say about how to change all that with Sales Talk for CEOs. Well, I cannot contain my excitement today. So thanks for joining me on another episode of Sales Talk for CEOs. Today, we are gonna talk with a positioning expert. Now, I know you're thinking, hey, this is sales talk for CEOs. We're gonna have some marketing talk today. And we're gonna talk about being awesome. In fact, we're gonna talk about being obviously awesome because as a CEO, that's what we want our companies to be. But sadly, most of our companies are not obviously awesome. I was lucky enough to find April Dunford this year and started following her and reading her book called Obviously Awesome, How to Nail Product Positioning. So buyers get it, buy it, and love it. That last piece is really important. They buy it and they don't love it. Mm, Things don't go so well. So we really want them to love it also. What I love the most was her sales approach to positioning because this is a marketing topic. Like I said, Marketing is got to be so integrated with sales today, and we're going to talk some more about that. But looking at your positioning in the marketplace, your product positioning from the customer's point of view just really gets me going, right? I'm so excited. So April also uh, just released a second book called Sales Pitch. We'll be talking about that too. I haven't read it yet, but what I do know is that's going to help sellers right. Be able to have the right words about that positioning. So I am looking forward to this conversation with April Dunford, the world's leading authority on product positioning. Welcome
1: April. Well, thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here.
0: Well, um, as you know, I told you before the show, I'm just having sort of a fangirl moment because from the minute I started following you and saw how like-minded we were, I, you know, I asked you almost immediately, Hey, I, you'd hardly know me, but would you be on my show? Uh, I've read your book. And Mm -hmm. as I mentioned, I've given it to so many people because I, as you can imagine, I read a ton of books on sales all the time. I read books on marketing too, but when I read something that really strikes a chord with me, I just want to dive into it and so here you are so obviously awesome right here in front of me
1: great here
0: we are all right Um, so let's jump in and talk about i know that you were in marketing for a time and you also mentioned that there was a short stint where you actually were leading sales as well and you were doing that all internally then about eight years ago you launched out on your own and you are now helping companies with positioning what was it that really made you you know, stay so focused on that one thing. Why is it so
1: important? This is a good question. So I'll tell you how it all started. My very first marketing job, the first marketing job I ever had, I joined a startup and because I was new, uh, they assigned me to the new product that was a failure. (laughs) And my first job was to call the customers that we had, and there were very few of them, and find out what they were doing with the product. And it turned out the reason they wanted me to do this is they were thinking about killing the product and they wanted to know who was gonna cry <laughs> when we turned it off. And so I made a hundred calls and I talked to a hundred customers. And what I found out was 92 out of that hundred didn't even know they had the product. Like they weren't using it at all. It was it, it's really a failure, but there were six or seven customers that were really using it that loved it, but they were using it in a way that we hadn't anticipated. And so I went back and reported this to the company. And what we decided to do was to reposition the product to chase this new use case. And what happened with that company is we ended up being wildly successful. The revenue grew really, really quickly. We ended up getting acquired by a big company in the Valley and after the acquisition, my boss quit and I was standing in the right hallway at the right time. And they said, you, you're in charge of marketing now. And by the way, we're giving you three or four other products and work that positioning magic on those other products, just like you did with the last one. And at that point I panicked and said, well, we didn't really follow a process or a methodology. I don't actually know how to do this. And I embarked on a, a multi-year quest to figure out, well, how should we be doing positioning? It seems like a really important thing. Seems like it could make the difference between a product that sucks and one that doesn't. We must know how to do this. So I had a bunch of coffee meetings with smart marketers. I read a lot of books. I took some courses. And what I discovered is positioning is this really foundational marketing concept But at the time there wasn't a methodology to do it. Everybody was doing it kind of their own way and making it up as they went along. And so that became a real, right?
0: Yeah. Very squishy, right? Everybody's like got to have positioning, but every squishy exercise I've ever done in positioning was so squishy. And that's why when I read your book, I was like, Oh my gosh, like there is a way to do this.
1: So squishy. I went to, I went and took a course at Northwestern University which is fancy pants marketing town. So I go take a course in this at this school and one day I come in the professor's there and they're like today we're going to learn how to do positioning and I'm like great this is what I'm here for tell me how to do it. <laughs> and the guy puts this thing up on the on the the projector and it's called the positioning statement. I don't know if you've ever seen one of these. Yes. But this is like Mad Libs. It's like this yes. fill, in fill in the blanks thing. I've seen yeah, it so many it, times. So, it, so it's like, we are a blank that does blank, unlike blankety, blank, 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 blank. And, and so I had just repositioned a product that we thought it was desktop productivity <laughs> software. And we had ended up repositioning it as an embeddable database for mobile devices. Pretty different positioning. So I'm looking at this positioning statement thing and there's a blank that says market category. And so I put up my hand and and said, look, I've, most of the products I've worked on could be positioned in multiple different pro- market categories. So how do we know what the best answer is to fill right. in the blanks? And you know what the professor said to me? The professor gave me this whole professor thing. He like got his glasses on. You know, He's like, who said that? And I'm at the back. I'm like, me, me, how do you know? How do you know? And he looks at me and he says, trust me, April, you'll just know. And at that point, I was like, well, we really don't know how to do this. We don't have a way to do this. All the smart people in the land are just like, we're going to gut feel this thing. And that didn't sit right with me. So for the next six or seven, eight years after that, I repositioned a lot of stuff. And eventually... I got to this point where I had a repeatable positioning process that if you were B2B tech company with a salesperson, I knew how to do it. And towards the end of my career as a VP marketing, that's why you hired me as a CEO would say, I think we have this problem. And I'd say, oh, you know, what? we call that marketing. We call that positioning. Here's how we're going to fix it. And they would hire me for that. So towards the end of my career, I was really focused on that as my key area of expertise and then when I decided to shift to consulting it just made sense that that would be the thing I would teach people how to do because people know, need to know how to do it and there isn't a lot of expertise out there again that has a methodical approach to actually getting this thing done. Oh
0: my gosh, I couldn't agree more. I and I do love the process that you lay out in
1: the book. It's just it's just so obvious. <laughs>
0: But I it took actually, me a
1: long time to get there, man. Like, and there were I a know. lot of false starts. There were I a know. lot of like, I think we could do it like this. No.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, but like the thing no. is you were doing it right. So you're doing it exactly. and taking it down and saying, well, this worked this way, this time doing it again. And then exactly. eventually you had done it enough times. You're like, well, each time there were these components, right? so you could you could lay it out. And I'm just curious, before we dive into positioning a little bit more, how did you come up with a name for your book?
1: This is a funny story. So I'm really into descriptive names. Like at B2B, people wanna get really clever with names of products. And at one point I worked at IBM and I got schooled by the IBM naming police and they gave me this big speech about how descriptive names are always better. And why would you come up with a new brand when you, you know, you you shouldn't have multiple brands. There should be a brand and the product should be descriptive name. So when I went to write the book, I thought, well, this is a book about positioning, so I should just call it positioning. But there's a very famous book called positioning the battle for your mind by these guys reason trout which is considered sort of the positioning bible right and that already existed and had sold millions of copies so i couldn't call it that <laughs> and at the time i had been doing a lot of speaking at conferences and the name of my conference talk was how to make your product obviously awesome ah, gosh. and so i stole it from the name of my thing so i don't know how did i come up with that conference talk name i have no idea i don't know that's what it was. When I wrote the second book, I just assumed I would have the same problem. So the second book is about taking your positioning and turning it into a sales pitch. So I'm working with the book people. And I said, well, I'm really into descriptive names. So I would really like to just call it sales pitch, but I'm sure there's a book out there already. I mean, we have, you know, we've been doing sales pitches since the dawn of time. I'm sure there's a book called Sales Pitch, and then I went on Amazon and looked it up and there wasn't one. So I was like, Oh, I'm gonna be that book.
0: <laughs> wow, that was that is really serendipitous. My goodness. And isn't it surprising that there
1: isn't a book that, already about how to build a sales pitch? I it found is that really is surprising.
0: surprising, actually. I yeah. But I, I do think that obviously awesome is, like I said in my intro, it's what we all wish our company was. So obviously awesome, right? We wish our product was just so obviously awesome. Right. But they're not obvious. We think they're awesome, but it's not obvious to the buyer. So let's talk about how you go about positioning from the buyer's point of view because obviously we can do a great job we all think our stuff is so great we invented it yeah. after all right and so we can say all these great things about it and and uh think that we're so cool but then it's not obviously awesome to the people buying it
1: well let me tell you how i usually decide whether or not there's a positioning problem inside a company at least how i used to do it when i was the vp marketing so i would get hired as the vp marketing and What everybody wants me to do is just go lead generation programs and get the revenue going like this, April. But I would be a little bit nervous about going and building campaigns if we didn't have a really tight definition of who do we compete with? How are we different? What is the value we can deliver that the other folks can't? What's our best fit customer really look like? What is the market we intend to win? These are the component pieces of positioning. And so I was worried if I was building campaigns on top of these things and they were mushy, then I was likely just pouring water into a leaky bucket. So what I would do instead of just rushing out to build the campaigns, I would go over, I would walk over to sales and listen in on sales calls. And weak positioning sounds like this on a first substantive sales call. In a first substantive sales call, you have the rep, And the rep is going to do the pitch, and the customer is there or the prospect is there, and the rep starts, and they're going, "Okay, we're here today to talk about this." And there may be three or four slides into it, maybe ten minutes into it or so, and the customer's making this face like they don't understand a thing the rep is talking about. (laughs) And usually, what would happen is the customer would interrupt and say, "Hang on, hang on, can we just go back? Like, can we go back to the beginning? Like, let's go back like three slides ago. You, You said a thing like just." pitch it to me again. And you would be surprised how often that exact exchange happens where the customer says, I don't really get it. Just go back to the start and do it again. So something's not clicking in the way we're talking about the product that the customer can't quite figure out even what it is. The other thing you'll get, it's very common, is the customer comes in and they'll say, oh, I get it. You're just like Salesforce. And you're nothing like Salesforce. You ain't in that space. (laughs) You don't compete with them. You don't. So there's something in the way you're talking about the product is making prospects, put it in a bucket that it doesn't belong in at all. Or the third one you'll hear, and this is fairly common too, and it's terrifying when it happens. The third one you'll hear is customer gets it. They're comparing you to the right folks more or less, but they'll get towards the end of the pitch and they'll go, I get it. I get it. I just don't get why anyone would pay for that. Like, what like can I just do that in a spreadsheet? Like, can I just do that with my current accounting package? So they kind of get the product, they kind of get the market, but they don't get the value. Yeah. Like, why would I bother spending money on? It? And if this was true and I was hearing this in sales meetings, then I would start thinking, you know what, this is this is likely a positioning problem. And normally what I would do first is have a conversation with the head of sales and say, is this typical or did I just get three or four really weird sales calls? Like, do you hear this a lot? If the positioning is weak, the head of sales is going to say, Oh yeah, we get that all the time. We get that all the time. It takes two, three calls before the light comes on. We're always getting compared to these things that we don't, we shouldn't be compared to. And that's usually an opportunity for me then to educate the VP sales and say, you know what, in marketing, we have this concept and it's positioning. And we can think about positioning as these five component pieces Who do we compete with? How are we different? What's the value we can deliver? No one else can. How do we define a best fit customer? What's the market category we're going to win? And if those things are kind of mushily defined, then what you'll get is exactly this in the sales calls. Customer don't really get what we are. They don't really understand who we compete with. They don't really understand the value we can deliver. So have we ever looked at the positioning in this company? And you know, 99% of the time, the salesperson will say, well, no, I didn't even know what positioning was. And so if sales was seeing that, then I would go to the CEO and say, you know, I've been hanging out in sales for a couple of weeks. Here's what I'm hearing. VP sales agrees with me. I think what we should do is get the gang together, a little cross-functional team, and we should just look at it. Maybe we'll look at it and decide the positioning doesn't need to change. But I would not want to go and spend a bunch of money On marketing campaigns if we haven't got this fixed first. So let's sit down and really tighten that thing up before we go and, you know, waste a bunch of money, uh, throwing a story out there that nobody really understands.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Now in the book, you give a bunch of examples, right? Of People thinking their product was positioned as X and the customers thinking it was Y or it turns out that it really does better as Y, right? Exactly. Um, and so you know that's a that's another thing I think that's a clue. So like you said, if if the seller is talking and, and they're you know having a conversation, then they're being compared to the wrong product category, ding ding, ding, right? Positioned poorly. But let's right. step through a few of those. And give some examples of products that were positioned poorly. They were positioned as this, but needed to be p- positioned as that because we know that those companies became much more successful after the repositioning.
1: For sure. I'll give you my favorite example. So, my favorite example is a company I worked at really early, I was very junior still when I started there. Um, and the company was positioned as enterprise CRM. Now, today that would be Salesforce. Right. This was a couple of decades ago. And back then there was a big company called Siebel, and they were the absolute kings of enterprise CRM. I remember a couple billion in revenue, you know, fastest company to reach a billion in revenue in the history of the valley, like really amazing, outstanding company. So we were positioned the same way as them, except we were 30 people <laughs> in Toronto. <laughs> and so unsurprisingly, whenever we had a meeting with a customer, customer would say, oh, you're enterprise CRM. So how are you better than SIBO? And the reality was, we kind of weren't like, like they had way more customers than us. They had a way more mature product than we had. They had, you know, a celebrity CEO that wrote books and all kinds of had, you know, flying around in a helicopter and stuff. But we had two things that we thought were really differentiating. Uh, One was we had a feature that was really distinct, and it could not be copied by Siebel because it was it, it it related to the data model, and we could we could model relationships in a completely different way than any other CRM on the market. The problem was is we didn't understand the value of that. So when we went in to pitch it, we would always show this thing like it it demoed really well too we'd show it to customers and customers would go, Ooh, that looks good. Yeah. But then they would ask the question. They'd say, well, w- what do we use this for? And we would say anything you want. <laughs> and then they would look confused. And then they would say, well, what else you got? And the second thing we had was, you know, complete desperation to close a deal because we were so broke all the time. And so we, you know, we'd like how much budget you got? Oh, that's what it costs. <laughs> and so this is a race to the bottom. This is not a good way for anyone to position. So needless to say, things weren't going so well. And how we got out of this was a, re- a reasonable amount of good luck and listening to customers. So we, uh, we were always turning over salespeople because we weren't sell- selling anything. And my CEO was notoriously mean to salespeople in interviews. I don't know why that was just his thing. And so one day the uh, salesperson came in and the my CEO is interviewing him. My CEO leans across the table and he says, you give me one good reason why I should hire you to come and be a salesperson at this company. And the salesperson we were interviewing, he's from New York, so he had a little bit of attitude. So he just leans right back and gets all up in my CEO's face and he says, I'll give you one good reason because my buddy is the head of investment banking at Goldman Sachs and I'm going to get you a meeting. And we're like, can you start Monday? (laughs) And so we hire the guy um, and he gets us the meeting, the head of investment banking at Goldman Sachs. And I tag along because I want to see how things work. And we get into the meeting, we go to show this feature and the head of investment banking gets really excited, really excited. And he starts asking these questions like, so if, two people used to work together, but they don't work together anymore. You could model that. And we're like, yeah, we can. And he said, so two people sit on a board together, but they actually work at different companies. You could model that. I'm like, yeah, we can. He says, whoa, hang on. i got to get the vice presidents. He runs down the hall. He comes back with two guys to show them the thing, show them the thing. We showed them the feature. Everybody gets excited. They jump up and down. We got a deal cooking and we close it in a month. This has never happened before. So we get this idea. Maybe investment bankers really love our stuff. So we go get a meeting at Morgan Stanley and the same thing happens. We show it to the head of investment banking. The guy asks the same set of questions, gets really excited. We got a deal. So we're very happy. Things are going up to the right. Happy and yet not
0: really understanding why they're buying,
1: right? (laughs) so, So what we discovered in doing those deals was the value that that feature could deliver was something that was really intricate to the sales process of an investment bank. So now we could talk about how this feature could give you a reason to call, so what the investment bankers call it. So we started using their terminology, we started talking about the value to them. So that was really good, everything's, everything's going up to the right. But importantly, we went back to the office, it sparked a conversation like, are we enterprise CRM? <laughs> or are we CRM for investment banks? And at the beginning, that was a big thing for us to get our head around. Like people were people were worried that if we positioned ourselves so narrowly how are we going to make any money? Like what happens if a telco calls us, you know, what happens if an insurance company calls us? Are we going to say no? And the reality was, okay, A, no one calls us. <laughs> like we're not, we're not like this is, no one's calling us. And B, if we positioned ourselves as CRM for investment banks, it would make it easy for the investment banks to find us right. and, and bring us in. And then the investors really hated it. The investors were like, that's too narrow. We didn't invest in you to be this little narrow thing we invested you to wipe Siebel off the face of the map and so what we said was look we're not going to be CRM for investment banks forever it's not like we're carving this into the stone tablets and we never change it again that's not how it's going to work we're going to go after investment banks and then once we're doing really good in investment banks and we're dominating that space we're going to use our success there to get into retail banking and we're going to shift the positioning at that point and be CRM for banking not just investment banking banking And then once we have that, then we're going to build a bunch of extra things, and that's going to help us get to insurance. Then we're going to be CRM for financial services. And if we succeed at that, we're a giant company at that point, because those are some pretty big segments. And then we can go take on Siebel head-to-head, because we're a bigger company, we're very successful, that's how we're going to do it. And so we did the shift in positioning, and it was absolutely transformational for the business. The best part was, we never got in a head-to-head fight with Siebel again. So we came in and we said, hey, we're CRM for investment banks. And the company would be like, oh, wait, don't you compete with Siebel? And we'd say, oh, Siebel, we love those guys. They're amazing. So big, so successful. They're like the world's most amazing general purpose CRM for call centers and retailers. And I don't even know what else, but not you, Wolf of Wall Street. You need something special. Let me show you this thing. (laughs) And then we would just position them right out because let me tell you, no investment banker wants the general purpose thing or they really don't want the thing for call centers. Let's put it that way. So things started going really good. We we grew the fastest I've ever grown in a company. We went from a little under 2 million revenue to a little under 80 million revenue in about 18 wow. months. Yeah. And then the end of this story was Siebel got so frustrated with us kicking their tail all over investment banking uh, that they came and acquired us for $1.3 billion. Yeah. That was a fun board meeting after that. Cause the board was like, how are you going to make any money? And we're like, that's how
0: There you go. <laughs> right. They got to believe, but you know, the thing is you did have a strategy. So I am so aligned with what you are saying because So many companies try to be everything to everybody, as you and I know. It's just the failure point. And then
1: you're nothing for anyone.
0: Right. And you can't, how do you market? What words do you use? Nothing is going to hit on anyone because it's just so broad. But when you narrow, 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 it's amazing. And then you own that market and then you can go own another one, but you can't own them all at the same time. And I mean, even my own company... I learned that, thank goodness. Finally, it's like narrow, 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 but you are afraid at first, right? And so now it's what terrifying you, at the beginning. It's terrifying because we're going to let go of some business. No, it doesn't really work like that because, like you said, nobody's calling you anyway. But, no one's um, calling you
1: anyway. You're not right, giving anything. I would wrong.
0: tell them, look, <laughs> your target audience is who you spend. We, you know, in Miller Hyman's called the ideal customer profile, right? This is who you spend yeah. your time, money, effort right directly all your resources directly at this target audience if someone else calls you that's not in that you can decide at the time whether you want to work with them or not that's up to you so you're not cutting them out they weren't there anyway really because nobody could figure out right who are you right for me i'm not really sure you know but you narrow down and let people know we are for you we're here for you we know you we We know your problems. We know who you are. We know how you live and breathe, and we know you know what a day in your life is like. and we are here for you. you. and it's I mean, that we is got so, so good much at fun. this
1: with it. We got so good at this with investment banking. like we literally had an investment banking glossary that the sales folks got trained on. I like you needed that. to know what a Chinese wall was <laughs> and you needed to know it. So right. we had all these terms and we would test the this general
0: business book. acumen that comes along with it. And this this is right. part of the problem with having sellers who are selling to too many verticals. They need to be Hard. sharp in that industry. They need to know that industry, know that vertical, know that language, know those people live that. And when you have them chasing, you know, just Maybe you know many verticals or anybody, they can't they can't do
1: it. They can't learn all of that. That's exactly it. They can't learn all of that. And we were so effective at selling against Siebel for precisely that reason. So we would come it. in, we would show them a demo that was very focused on investment banking, on a day of the life a day in the life of an investment banker. Here's how we do all these things. We were using all these investment banking terms. and then literally, Siebel would come in the next day and show them a demo that was a call center demo <laughs> yeah. to an investment banker. <laughs> like, yeah. They just looked like they had no business being in these meetings at all. Yeah, and, you- but of course they were doing that. They were trying to be, they were 2 billion revenue. They're everything for everybody at that point. And Absolutely. so the way we beat them was just getting really focused on investment banking and really focused on, yep, those guys are great. They're fantastic, but not for you, not for you.
0: Yeah, I had a great meeting with one of the teams that I work with this morning who goes to a big uh, show called NADA. It's a national automobile yeah, a dealer the association or something, right? Yep. And yep. you know, we were talking about our positioning and they were getting it, right? Their marketing person, you know, had done a lot of work to bring it all together, the sales and marketing product people, the CEO, the COO, you know, myself, we were all on the line with the salespeople working through all of this. And it was just genius because now I have to hurry up and read the sales pitch book because we're translating this into what are you going to say at the booth when you approach people, when they approach you, what are the questions you're going to ask? What are the trends you're going to talk about? What are, you know, how are you going to position us for these auto dealers? Because truly they are the only company that does what they do Specifically for auto, so they have a lot of experience. They have a whole team dedicated to auto, and they have really developed a better way, right? But otherwise, mm-hmm. they're just going to be compared to the product that looks just like them, right? Yeah. When on on the surface, this is the product that looks just like them.
1: I think and- I think as vendors, we really us underestimate how difficult it is for a buyer. To right. learn all about a market and make it make a purchase decision we, we don't think about this enough like how hard it is 100%. to buy like particularly in B2B, the buyers we're selling to in general have never bought a solution that looks like yours before exactly. right? this is the first time I do doing have
0: to, it. I have to stop you because that when in the book I was like this I say this all day long every day to everybody why do you think your buyers know how to buy from you? they first of all they don't. They're, they're Gen Xers. Uh, you know, maybe a few baby boomers left, right? Like me, but then there's, you know, millennials and whatever the Z is, they, they have never bought anything expensive at all. They've never bought what you're selling. They never. don't know how their company buys stuff like this big, complex, expensive things, software, or equipment. They don't know. And really it's, it's, we're doing such a disservice because sellers are still being trained to do a basic discovery call with the a banned methodology of budget authority, need, and timing. So 1980s, right. And they're missing the whole thing because what they really need to do and understand, like we were just saying, is they have to have the business acumen for that industry, that business, you know, and, and, and be able to speak that language and really understand the problem so they can guide the buyer through how to buy it, which means bringing exactly. multiple people to consensus, a skill we don't teach salespeople. It requires yep. you know understanding the problem in a different way, right? Exactly. Um, it, and it really requires guiding people and setting out what I call a mutual action plan, right? So everybody knows it, buying is not passive people, sellers don't do it to you right you have to participate um and we have yeah. to move through this journey together in order for you to get the result that you need in the end like you said you know they they get it they love it and they love it they they buy it you know they understand it and then they actually love it in the end and we're not necessarily doing that we're still training sales people yeah. to just get to the close and that's,
1: we're not, that's this end, is exactly right? it. and then think about, think about how much harder this is in some ways, like how much harder this is now than it was oh. five to 10 years ago. Like not only are the markets way more crowded, but the buyers are literally drowning in information, drowning, drowning in it. Like, it, it, so they don't want to talk to a the salesperson. They're like, Oh, I'm going to figure this out my own. I'm going to, I'm going to research. I'm going to I'm gonna they truly, I'm gonna go all over. And what they end up with is this mountain of information and much of it is conflicting. So every yes. vendor says they're the number one and doing whatever every vendor says, well, this is really important. Another vendor says this is really important and this is really important. You never bought this thing before. You don't know. And it's B2B like there's stakes are so high the line. Right. If you make a bad decision, bad things happen. Right. Bad things happen. Like you're going to look dumb in front of your boss. Maybe you're going to get passed over for promotion. Maybe you're going to get fired. It is so easy for a buyer to look around at all this stuff, get absolutely overwhelmed and say, you know what? We just got to, hunt the ball right. down the road for let's now it's not a good time well that's what and they, they do use, it ends deal. in no decision right no because decision
0: right? They're overwhelmed. And the, and the
1: no decision is like we couldn't figure out what to do and feel comfortable with that decision so we're just not going to make any at all right. so our job really has to be helping that customer know what they need to know in able, in order to be able to really confidently Go to the up to the economic buyer and say, this is what we should buy, and this is why, and this is how I'm going to get consensus with everybody else. And if we're not doing that, and the vast majority of the time in in B2B software companies, they're just not doing it. No, they're not. In the sales pitch, they're just talking about features, 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 features. We only talk about ourselves. We don't try to paint a picture of the market. Right. And all that does is contribute to the already overwhelming pile of information that this buyer can't make sense of. That's it's right. got to be our job to help these buyers make sense of all this stuff, build a map in their head and say, look, there's there's three or four approaches to this problem. And this approach has these pluses and minuses. This has these pluses and minuses. This has these pluses and minuses. And here's where we fit. If we're not doing that, The customer cannot do this themselves. It is exactly
0: the salesperson's job today. I mean, like like I said, so like-minded. Those same words could have come out of my mouth. And this is why, to me, CEOs need to pay attention. Positioning is so important. When you don't position yourself properly, those buyers that are out there looking all by themselves at your website and at your social media and at your videos and all the things you put out there cannot tell whether right. your product is for them or not. Right? right. And they might even pass you by because your websites, excuse me, your websites all suck. They're terrible. <laughs> and you make me the first thing I have to do. Yeah. If I want to get, you know, learn more is I have to fill out a form to get a demo. Why you can't, put a video that shows me most of what I need to know. Of course it's not customized to me, but I need enough of a peek, right? To understand whether I want to talk to somebody or not. So we're doing such a bad job positioning ourselves properly, positioning our companies, positioning our products, right? And and then, so we're poorly positioned. We cannot uh, communicate well because of that, what we do. And then we make buying hard. And I mean, I spend my life saying to people, How are you making it easier for your customers to buy from you? Poor positioning does not make it easy to buy. So we really have to take a look at that. So let's go there. What does a CEO need to know about positioning in order to help make those changes at their company? So what's the very first thing they should do to understand, are we poorly positioned Do people understand what we do, what our company does, what our products do?
1: I would say that the vast majority of companies, they have positioning right now, but it was not created deliberately. It just kind of fell into it. Right. And sometimes what we've got is positioning. It worked really well five years ago, but now it doesn't work so well. Right. I think that there's a lot of value if you're a CEO that's thinking about this, even if you think your positioning might not be all that bad, I think there's a lot of value in getting a cross-functional team together working through a process and let's just check in on it and see there's zero downside to doing it and potential great upside to doing it. And the the worst thing that happens is you've got everybody all in alignment and we all go, Nope, this is good. (laughs) This is as good as it gets. Yeah. Yeah. Most companies, again, like I was saying earlier is they don't know how to do it because there isn't a methodology. So I could get a cross-functional team together. The problem is it's just everybody's coming and everyone's got an opinion and and, and it'll turn into the, And what people want to do is let's get everybody together in a room. And then we'll say, well, why does everyone love our stuff? And then we'll have a battle of opinions. And the founder wins that. And that's it. <laughs> and we don't know. Is it good? Is it the best positioning? We don't know. So that's been my work. Like my work has been really about if we get this cross-functional team together, how are we going to move them through an exercise that for as much as we can takes the opinions out of it? So that's, so my process is an attempt to do that. The work I do with companies is you do it with me as a facilitator, but a lot of companies just take my book, use the methodology, get the gang together, and then work through that. I think as a CEO, why wouldn't you not want to do that every once in a while <laughs> just to check in? Absolutely. Even if, even if you didn't think your positioning was bad. In most cases, I would say if there are, if, Again, if you go over to sales and you start listening in on sales calls and you start feeling like you have this problem, like, you know, you've got all these happy customers, but a new prospect coming in is like, I don't get it. I just, I don't get what that is. I think you're this, but you're not. I don't get the value of it. But you know that happy customers do. You know that happy customers know exactly what you are. What's happening in this gap? There's something about the way you're talking about the product or pitching the product. That is making customers think you're over here when in fact you're over here. So what we can do is in positioning is just tighten that up so that you know, one, we're attracting in the right customers that we want to attract in. They're moving through the pipeline faster because they get what it is. We don't have to do five sales calls before the light comes on. Right. Uh, so they're closing faster, they're closing at higher, higher prices because they get the value and they understand the value of it. Like good positioning is just so good all the way across your funnel. Bad positioning is the opposite. It's just this invisible friction from the beginning to the end.
0: Yeah. So when sales are down, there's a lot of things to look at, right? It can be the the leadership. It can be pricing. It can be the market. It can be external forces. There's so many things. But truly, one of the things you have to look at is your positioning, especially if the market's good and your competitors are doing well or who you view as your competitors are doing well, right? Then you you really need to look at positioning. And there's never a bad time to do that, like you said. And every couple of years, it absolutely just needs to be done. Uh, but then once you do that as a TU assembly leader team, and you and you start doing that, then the work that gets done to improve the positioning has to get translated to sales. And yeah. that's where I see a lot of times it, it's fallen oh, yeah. down. They mm-hmm. did the positioning work and made some changes, but sales never got the memo, right? <laughs> and so let's yeah. just talk through it. So CEO says, okay, we're going to look at positioning. I'm going to, you know, we're going to use this book. We're going to call April. We're going to use our own marketing person. We're going to pull a team, a, a, a cross-functional team together. And I would imagine part of this is going to be talking to customers. Is that right?
1: It is and it isn't. Like okay. One of the reasons that I only work with B2B tech companies is... Uh, in consumer, or if we don't have a salesperson, we know almost nothing about what's going on in a sales process. If I've got salespeople and we're in market and we've been selling for a while, we know a reasonable amount. We we definitely know what we're up against. So we yeah. know what we what we displace in yeah. a typical amount. And we know who else ends up on a short list. So put another way, we know who we have to position against. Now, what's funny is inside the company, we might not all agree on that. (laughs) And in fact, often product is thinking about the roadmap and they've got this way longer list of competitors. And a bunch of them are what I would call horizon competitors, like maybe two years from now, they might get their act together and, and we'll compete with them. But the reality is they never show up in a sales call. And my opinion on that is that if we if they don't show up in a sales call, we don't need to position against them. They're a ghost at this point. And if at some point in the future they do start showing up in sales calls, well, then we can adjust the positioning and take that into account then. But if they're not on the, if they're not on the list right now, they don't count. Even having that discussion, in a cross-functional team across product marketing and sales is really useful because often marketing doesn't really understand who we actually compete with. Product doesn't really understand who we actually compete with right now. And so that's part of the reason why the positioning is so mushy is that everybody's not in agreement about Yeah. Who well, are we product and
0: marketing both need to go hang out with sellers, right? I mean, how else are you going to know? And I love what I mean, you're saying me. here. We don't really need to talk directly to those customers. I mean, in some cases you may choose well, not, to, right? not
1: to find out that thing. But now, right, but the sellers next-
0: know what's coming up. But see, most totally. positioning gets done without sellers in the room.
1: Yeah. Which so, is at most
0: companies, you get a team together to do positioning, and maybe there's the leader of sales in there, but there are no salespeople who can, in there who can say, "Oh no, no, that is not." Never, what our customers yeah. Say never or seen do.
1: those guys. Never had that happen. So, this right. is really critical to have sales in the room. Yeah. The second thing is, and this is very true in tech companies, if I go out and talk to customers and say. What what's the big value we deliver? You know, wh- what what do you do with us? Why'd you pick us versus the other folks? I'll get a bunch of good information, but often that information is not complete. And one of the things that actually keeps a lot of tech CEOs up at night is often what we have is something that is really cool. Capability that is really cool in the product and the product team worked on it. It was hard to build. It's incredible. There was a vision behind what this thing was. And then we released it, but marketing didn't understand it. So they didn't know how to market it. Yeah. Sales didn't understand it or what the value was. So they didn't know how to sell it. Nobody ever talked about it. So the customer doesn't use it. Yeah. Now, the person that knows, or the team that understands this, is product. Right. You're a product management team. They generally have a very deep understanding of capabilities wise, what is differentiating in our product and our company versus the other companies out there? Because that's part of their job is to stay really on top of this competitive landscape and where we're different. So I've got sales in the room to help me understand the stake in the ground, which is who do I have to position against? Now I've got product in the room to say, now I know who I'm competing with. I say, all right, what have we got that they don't have? Let's make the list. And there'll be a whole bunch of things on that list. And then we can go down that list. And for everything on that list, we can say, well, so what? We have this whiz-bang AI thing. So what? Why does a customer care? What is the value that that capability delivers for a customer's business? And as we're going down that list, what we're looking for are the value themes. As we can't market 59 points of value. We can only market two or three. Three, So we're looking for the value themes. And at the end of that, now that is very much informed by what we know about customers. We need to understand what's valuable to a customer. We need to understand what customers care about, what their situation is. Otherwise, if we're trying to talk about value, we have no clue. But a lot of companies, marketing interacts with customers, product interact with customers, sales obviously is interacting with customers. So we do know quite a bit about what a customer thinks is valuable and isn't valuable. And we're bringing that all to the table with this cross-functional team. And these folks that see a customer maybe at different points in the life cycle or at different points in the purchase process. And so now we're going, okay, who do we compete with? How are we different? We're gonna translate that to value. At the end of that step, we should be able to say, look, we are the only company on the planet that can deliver this combination of this value, plus this value, plus this value. And the features are just how we get it done and we tuck those in underneath. Once we have that, then we can have a conversation about, okay, we're the only people that can do this, but not every company out there cares about that stuff the same. So the question really is, what are the characteristics of a target account that make them really, really care a lot about the value that only we can deliver? That's literally our definition of a best fit customer. Yeah. And so if we have that, then we can start talking about my market categories. So therefore, what are we? We got this value. We're trying to communicate it to these people. Are we better positioned as email or chat? Like what is the context that we position the product in? Such that we take a prospect that doesn't know too much about us and kind of point them at our value. So in in my process, this is how we get this done. Now, when I started doing this, we get the gang together. We work through these things. We got sales in the room. We got product, marketing, customer success. We get the founders in the room. We get to the end, and everyone's in agreement and alignment. Here's what we compete with. This is how we're different. This is a value we can deliver no one else can. Our best fit customer looks like this. We're going to win this market and marketing would be very happy because marketing now knows what the differentiated value is. They use that to go build messaging. So they go run back to the home, the homepage. They're great. But if we just stop there, sales goes back and says, yes, yes. Intellectually, I get all of this. This is great. But then sales goes back and was like, I, uh, I don't know. They need the words. I don't know how to tell the story. Right. So I very quickly realized this, that we needed to go drive all the way through. Once we've got this positioning done, we take this same cross-functional team, same cross-functional team, and we map that positioning to a sales narrative that a salesperson can use. Like you can think of it as a first call deck. So what do we say when we got a qualified prospect in a first call that knows a bit about our stuff, they've been lightly qualified, we haven't a discovery yet, You know, what are we going to say to put our best fit forward? What's the story that explains why pick us over the other guys? And so now, so I have a process for that now too. Like here's the, you know, here's the eight parts of a good sales pitch. This is what it looks like. This is how it maps into positioning because I've been doing that with clients for the last six, seven years now. Because if we don't do that, then sales is really happy because we got tight on the positioning. But then when they go back, they're like, I don't actually know how to tell the story.
0: Right. I mean, right. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. Amazing. Amazing. Well, this has been just a conversation full of so much insight. I hope that all the CEOs out there listening and those who support CEOs will pick up the book, Obviously Awesome, and the book Sales Pitch. And put that together with your team, and maybe even call April if you if you need her help. Get but stuck? You can call me. There you go. Can you tell us how we can find you?
1: Yeah. So my website's aprildunford.com. That you know, if you if you're if you're interested, you can go there. The two books are a really good place to start. I think most companies should actually start by looking at it and seeing if they can get something done on their own in house. I do a lot of talking about positioning stuff. So if you just want to go deep on positioning, I have a newsletter on Substack. You can follow me on LinkedIn like everybody else does. It's kind of the only social media I'm active on. And I have a podcast too. I just finished season one. And it's really kind of a positioning geek head podcast. Like if you want to go deep dive on all the positioning things, uh, you could go listen to that too. Podcast is called Positioning with April Dunford.
0: Well, there you go. I, I back to naming things. Right? <laughs> when I initially named my podcast, I was working through my branding with a friend of mine, Park Howell, who wrote a great book called Brand Bewitchery, and um, he helped me, you know, work through all these things. And we can't, we're coming up with all these names, and he goes, "Well, it's it's just really." T- sales talk for CEOs, right? I go, yeah. He goes, like, Why don't we just call it that? I just call it that? <laughs> <laughs> and so we did. I'm
1: all about this. I'm all about so this. Did, right. Yeah. So I think, that, I think that clear beats clever in a lot of this stuff.
0: Clear definitely beats clever, especially in the landscape where buyers are overwhelmed, like we were talking about. So great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing. We'll put the books in the show notes. And, uh, we will have them on the screen in a moment as well. So, uh, thank you so much, April for gosh, just really singing out to the sales and marketing world, some things that they really, really need to know. That's awesome. Well,
1: thanks so much for having me.
0: If you enjoyed the show, please like, and subscribe, and we'll see you next week.